Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be Praise to be Christ. Thank you again, Libby. So we are uh, still in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This will carry us through about midsummer, uh, and then we'll transition to our next series, which will be a series on uh, Romans chapter 8, which uh, we're referring to as the greatest chapter ever written. So looking forward to that. Uh, but for now, we're on our third and final message focusing on the Lord's Prayer, and I'd like to start with... Um, a reference to a 1980s movie called Wall Street. Some of you are old enough to have seen that. Some of you have never heard of that movie, but it features uh, Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen, father-son uh, duo, also Michael Douglas uh, and Daryl Hannah and uh, others that those of us who grew up in the 80s would be familiar with. But um, the movie features a father, played by Martin Sheen, who is a blue-collar worker, man of great integrity, and his son, uh, who is uh, played by Charlie Sheen, who is a young up-and-coming stockbroker who's mentored by Gordon Gecko. And Gordon Gecko is a high-power investor who uh, has no problem exploiting other people's lives in order to uh, make a lot of money for him. About you know, a day's pay was somewhere around $80,000. He lived by the creed, greed is good. And he sought to mentor his young protege, uh, uh, the young stockbroker played by Char Charlie Sheen, in that creed and in that mantra. And, and the father is getting concerned about the, the influence of this um, hollow soul of an investor named Gordon Gecko and his influence on his son. And, and there's a, a bit of a heated discussion, which is probably the most famous scene in the movie. There's a heated discussion between the father and the son. And the father says, Gordon Gecko is using you, kid, but you are too blind to see it. And the son responds, no, what I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son has become more successful than he has. And then the father answers this way, what you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wallet. You remember that, the, that scene, like that, that, the emphasis on that word, what a, what a great, powerful scene that was. Reminds me of uh, something that Thomas Merton once said, that people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that they are leaning against the wrong wall. For some of us, success is measured in dollars and cents, in net worth, in, in whether or not we have hit our number. For others, success is measured in terms of fame and fortune, or position and status, or likes and follows. There are all sorts of different measures for 
success in the worlds that, that we live in, which is why we need the Sermon on the Mount, and which is why we need things like the Lord's Prayer to provide us with a compass to, 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 to point us to the right wall so that we will climb the right wall, and in the end, at the end, toward the end of our stories, we'll be leaning against the right wall. And so what we've got in the Sermon on the Mount is what life in the kingdom of God looks like, or uh, in modern terms, a portrait of true success. True success is to have your life and your priorities arranged and centered and orbiting around the life and mission and priorities of a, a, of a loving and wise Father, which is why Jesus teaches us to pray God-oriented prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as, it is, as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You know, John Stott talked about how this prayer is really about the decentralization of the self from our lives. He says the Lord's Prayer expresses the priorities of a Christian. We are constantly under pressure to conform to the self-centeredness of secular culture. We become concerned about how our own little name, our own little empire, our own silly little will. But in the Christian counterculture, our top priority concern is not our name and kingdom and will, but God's. And so I wanna, what I want to do uh, today in, in this last of three messages on the Lord's Prayer is to talk about the three ingredients to health to true success. And these are God's will, God's name, and health as God defines it. So, first of all, God's will. You know, verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father. And then what follows this is multiple petitions. Some of them are asking God that the whole world be oriented around God's home, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that, that, that God's name and God's will dominate the world in which we live. That's what it means for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. But there are also facets of this prayer where we're asking God that our whole lives will be shaped as well by God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our needs as you define them. Help us discern between our wants and our needs and give us what we need. And that our lives be shaped by God's grace. Forgive us our debts. And by God's character, as we forgive our debtors, as we imitate you in the way that we forgive. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Shape us, Father, in other words. In other words, the, the, the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray is not unlike the sermon that Jesus is preaching to us in which the prayer is located. The whole design of it is to change us, not to change God. It's to align us to His will and purposes in ways not to align Him to ours. And so Jesus wants our prayers to be, to be driven by the belief, as Isaiah says, and Isaiah 55, that God's thoughts are higher or superior to, they're higher than or superior to ours, His ways are higher than or superior to ours as well. Or as Proverbs 14 
warns us there is a way that's going to seem right to you. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, that way will lead to death. And so Jesus also teaches us to pray, Father, your will be done. This is a statement of surrender. It's the same prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Remember the garden where he's about to go to the cross and and he says, Father, this is not what I want. And nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's a statement of surrender to, to the nature and character of who our Father is. He's our creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He loves us more than we love ourselves. It's not we who make him, he makes us. It it is not we who make ourselves or create ourselves or recreate ourselves. It's, It's him who creates us and designs us and fashions us and leads us. But the the truth be told, and I I think if any of us is honest, you know, any of us who, who prays occasionally or every single day, our honest selves will acknowledge this, that our motives are always mixed as we pray to God. And, and what we really mean sometimes when we pray, your will be done, is your will be done except when I disagree with you. Isn't that right? So I almost died when I was six years old. And it was because of these sorts of things. You know, we were visiting uh, the house or the home of some friends of my parents, and and they didn't have any kids my age, and so I went out in the yard to play. And I discovered a, a, a bush with these beautiful little red berry-looking things on them. And my mother came out just to check on me, and I said, Mom, you know, look what I found, a bush with berries. And, and she said, whatever you do, Scott, do not eat those berries. Forbidden fruit. The day you eat this, you will surely die. And of course, what did I do as soon as my mom disappeared back into the, the house to rejoin her friends? I started popping those berries in my mouth, and, and they were sweet, delicious, like the Turkish delight that the White Witch of Narnia would hand out to the children. It was delicious. And so my mother comes out to check on me a few minutes later, and I said to her, guess what, Mom? You were wrong. You were wrong. These berries, these are delicious. These are some of the sweetest things that I've ever put in my mouth. The truth of the matter is, Mom, and we both need to admit it, my truth is superior to your truth. My thoughts are higher than your ways. My, or my thoughts and my ways are higher than yours. But it turned out that that which was sweet was sweet poison, just like cocaine. There was just enough about it to entice me into its arms and to get it into my system so that it could kill me. And so we spent the evening, the rest of the evening in the ER where I had my stomach pumped and where my doctor or my parents and the doctors and medical professionals saved me from my foolish six-year-old self. So why is it that we need God's will and God's word and God's ways and God's 
counsel to guide us in our praying and in our living. Remember, just a few weeks ago, I said, look, you know, the, the, the more we mature as followers of Jesus, the less creative and the less inventive we're going to become in our prayers and in our theology. And, and the more like mockingbirds we're going to be. You know, we're going to more and more, much like Jesus did, pray God's Word. You realize how many times when Jesus prays in the Scripture, He's, pray, he's praying psalms, verbatim praying psalms right back to the Father? In the same way, the most mature prayers of the most solid souls are the ones that are mocked back like a mockingbird to God, praying His words and His will and His way, ways back to Him. Why do we do this? Because the taste buds of our souls are prone to mislead us. That which we think is sweet is actually poison. That which we may assume is poison might actually be sweet and healthy and life-giving. And so we need the Father's will and ways to help us discern. Secular wisdom says, follow your heart. Follow your heart. To which the prophet Jeremiah says the, pro, the, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Remember, as the Proverbs also said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. So it turned out that my 32-year-old mother at the time had greater wisdom about these little delicious red berries than her six-year-old boy did. There was this wisdom gap between the two of us. She was able to see a bigger picture than I was because of her life experience, because of her accumulated wisdom, and so on. So think about it this way. How big is the wisdom gap? If that's the wisdom gap between a 32-year-old and a 6-year-old, what, what must the wisdom gap be between a God who is older than time and a 32-year-old or a 62-year-old or a 92-year-old? We never grow past our need to be corrected and redirected and, and re-steered by the wisdom and ways of our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's another way of saying, you want to be happy? Then learn to be content with what God says you need. Not with what you feel you need because you've confused your wants with what you need. Learn to be content with what God says you need and then become a generous human being. Stop hoarding. Stop spending everything you get on you and see your life as a resource for God's service of other people in the world. Because the more you hoard and the more you spend exclusively on yourself, the more you're like a spiritual six-year-old who somehow thinks that you know better how to take care of yourself than God knows how to take care of you. And then Jesus says, pray this, pray as we forgive our debtors. It's another way of saying, you want to be powerful over your enemies, over those who've hurt you and injured you, then forgive them. Because the one way to, to, to hand them power and enable them to hold on to power over you, those who've injured you, is to stay bitter, is to stay resentful, is to continue to fantasize 
about their destruction and downfall and, and them being embarrassed or publicly shamed or what have you. See, holding on to bitterness, holding on to a grudge is like that spiritual six-year-old who wants to eat the berries when all the while you're just swallowing poison. It's like what Anne Lamott said, you know, holding on to a grudge, nursing a grudge, remaining bitter. It's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Or Jesus says, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is just a declaration over all, of, all sin. Every choice we make in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, to, to, to go the opposite direction of what, of what God has declared in, in, in His Word, is to say, my truth is superior to your truth. My thoughts are higher than your ways. My ways are higher than your, your ways. And how arrogant and how self-destructive this is. It's like the spirit. every time we sin, it's, it's, we, we revert back to being a, a spiritual six-year-old out in the yard with that berry bush. And our core assumption is God did not get this one right. And so I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to take it matters into my own hands. God's will, first necessary ingredient. God's name is the second necessary ingredient. You ever notice, in, in the Lord's Prayer, God gives us so much more than rules, so much more than, than a path to follow. He does give us rules. He does give us a path to follow. But, but it's all in the context of giving us Himself, giving us His personhood, giving us His presence, giving us a relationship with Him. I mean, we start the prayer, our Father in heaven. And then, then we go on to pray, as Jesus instructs us, hallowed be your name. His name. You know, someone's name. When, 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 when I hear somebody say, sorry to point you out and embarrass you, Gif, but when somebody says Gif, I think intelligent. I think tender-hearted, accessible. I think committed father. Uh, I, I think all of these things, but, but, but what if I said to Giff, you know, that lawyer part of you, I, I, I really think you should be an engineer, or I really think you should be a stage performer. I, I'm, I'm saying something about Giff's personhood when I say this is one part of your name that, I, that, that I'd rather not exist, or, or you know, Jeremy. Um, I'm sorry, you guys, I didn't plan this, but, you know, J Jeremy, you're, you're a tender soul, sensitive to... Um, the Spirit of God, uh, a man who prays the Psalms like Jesus did. Um, you have been through so much, and you've walked faithfully through it, and so on and so on and so on. But if I were to say, you know, Jeremy, I, that musician part of you, if you could just not be the musician, or if you could just not be married to Brooke, um, we would cease on some level to be friends, uh, because I've insulted your name. And in the same way, we, we do this all the time, with the one who created us. We want parts of him, but we don't want all of him. And, and, and yet, when Jesus says, pray, hallowed be your name, held high be your name, exalted be your name, what he's saying is his wholeness, his fullness, every nuance, every complexity that is God, you are under that. You are beneath that. You are captive to that. You are subservient to that. 
It's a prayer to, Lord, help us know, revere, and love you for your whole self. Not your partial self, your whole self. For all of you and not just select parts of you. Otherwise, it's what Scripture calls idolatry, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And we saw how that worked out for Adam and Eve. It will not work out any better for us. If we even deny so much as one of God's attributes because it makes us uncomfortable or because we don't quite understand it. You know, our catechism says that God is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in His being, and His wisdom, and His power, and His holiness, and His justice, and His, His goodness, and His truth. In our sort of fractured, fallen hearts, we want to say, I'll take this part of God, and this part of God, and this part of Him, but these parts, eh. Rather not deal with those parts. You ever run across that, that statement the Apostle Paul makes in Romans chapter 11, when he says, consider the kindness and severity of God. Consider the kindness and the severity of God. Depending on your personality, you're going to gravitate toward one or the other. If you're a more gentle, affirming person, you're, you're going to be prone to emphasize God's kindness. But the idea of Him being severe in any way is going to be hard for you to swallow. And on the other hand, if you are a more prophetic, confrontational type, your emphasis is going to be on the holiness of God and the law of God and the otherness and transcendence of God. But maybe talk about the grace of God won't bother you, but when, when the grace of God starts to actually be applied in community, it's really going to trouble you. When people start living it out, actually confessing sin and inviting you to do the same, because grace. See, all roads lead to C.S. Lewis, and so we might as well go there now. There's this famous scene in uh, the Narnia Chronicles, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Mr. Beaver is trying to educate Susan on, you know, Aslan, the, the great lion of, of Narnia, and, and Susan is shocked, and she says, oh, Aslan is a lion. Well, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's response is, well, of course he isn't safe. Who said anything about safe? But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe, and he's good. He's kind, and he's severe. He's a roaring lion and a delicate lamb. He's humble and he's strong. He's near and he's other. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. He's prophet, he's priest, he's king. He's all these things. You know, Tim Keller says, to worship a partial God is to worship no God at all. You know, in a sense, this is a very prophetic invitation to pray this way. It's a little bit in your face to say, when you pray, pray, hallowed be your name, because what Jesus is saying is, pray, God, I will take all of you or I will take none of you. 
Because the moment we start to edit out certain attributes of God from, from our consciousness is the moment that we create an image of God in our own likeness, which means we're not worshiping Him. We're just agreeing with Him wherever we agree with Him. God's name. You know, we, we sung about Him being a mighty fortress. We're going to sing about His amazing grace at the end of the service. And that Chris Tomlin song, he, he was both the lion and the lamb. And how great is He in both of those? And the final ingredient is health. Forgive us our debts. When you pray, pray, forgive us our debts. This assumes a couple of things. Number one, that there are things that are wrong with us. And that number two, through Jesus, God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love for those who've placed their trust in Christ. Or like Jack Miller used to say, cheer up because you're a lot worse than you think. And God is infinitely more loving toward you through Christ than you ever dared to hope. You know, full surrender to, to all that is God is going to accomplish two things. Number one, God is going to be glorified. Number two, we are going to be liberated to, to become the best versions of ourselves. You know, Mark Twain once expressed his own difficulty with, with certain parts of the Bible when he said this, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bothers me. It's the parts that I do understand. You know, C.S. Lewis had a similar statement in Reflections on the Psalms, and he's, he's reflecting on, on, on those places where King David talks about how delicious the laws and the statutes and commands of God are to him, that they're like honey on my tongue, that they are more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds. And, and Lewis, in a moment of honesty, in a moment of transparency, says, if I'm being truthful, a lot of the time God's laws feel a lot more like a dentist's forceps to me than they do delicious You know, how do we know we're aligning with God? How do we know that, that, that our prayers are reflecting hearts that are surrendered? It's when we start to pray like this, Lord, help me to embrace and obey the parts of Scripture, to honor the attributes of God and the moral commands of God that first appear to me like forceps, the parts that I fear the most, the parts that seem most costly to surrender to, those that seem most inconvenient, the most troubling and disruptive and disorienting parts, the least politically correct aspects of your truth. Make me captive to those as well. Make me my own person because I'm your person answerable to none but you. The beauty of that is you become the best kind of friend to everybody around you as a result of giving exclusive allegiance to the one who loved you and gave himself for you.
You know, a few weeks ago, my back was giving me fits. I was sitting over there while David Filson was giving the sermon, and uh, one of our church members who, who works in athletics said, your back is really giving you fits, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, you guessed. Uh, you know, I'm just fidgeting in my seat right in front of her the whole, the whole service, and she says, I've got a person for you. And, and for the last 20 years, my, my back has been giving me fits, and people have been saying, oh, I've got a person for you. And I've, I've been resisting and resisting and resisting, but it had gotten so bad that I said, look, I'll do anything. I will eat cockroaches if that's what I have to do for, for my back to feel better. And so she sent me to this guy, and, um, and what he did was he said, you know, show me the sore points, and I showed him the sorest spots, and he says, lay on your side. And then he started digging into the sorest spot on my body with both of his thumbs and, and putting his weight in. And then he said, what I want you to do is stretch, which of course made it hurt more, stretch this way. And I was just thinking, I hate you. And, and I think I hate our, the church member who, but I shouldn't because she's awesome. And I think I hate myself because I'm here submitting to you. And he says, you just need to trust me. If you do these exercises, these stretches I give you every day, twice a day for two weeks, you will be pain-free for the first time in 20 years. And I went home, and I did the exercises, and they, they hurt like fire. But I am pain-free now for the first time in 20 years. Don't do that. No, no, no. Don't clap. That's the, because I did this kicking and streaming. Don't clap for me. Clap, clap for Lori Shepard, who recommended me, and clap for the guy who treated me. But don't clap for me. I'm kicking and screaming like I do with a lot of God's Word. And if I'm being honest, like I do with a lot of the Lord's Prayer, there are parts of God that I really would rather not have to deal with. And yet, when you start to believe and submit to the things that you don't necessarily feel like believing and embracing and submitting to, over time you come to love them. That, that's how the Holy Spirit works. You ever wonder why Jesus includes in his uh, Luke expression of the Lord's Prayer, pray that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to you? Part of why he says pray that God, that God will give you the Holy Spirit is so that you, your heart will start aligning. That's what sanctification does. Over time, it's, it, it aligns more and more and more with the heart and will of Christ. And so, you've got to enter into it, believe it, submit to it before you experience its positive effects. And so, are you in conflict? Be the first to apologize. Are you tight-fisted with money? Start giving at least 10% of it away starting today and for the rest of your life. Are you selfish? Start serving somebody on a daily basis. Do you have a critical spirit? Start, start catching somebody doing good every single day because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the only way that we can become pain-free is by submitting to your processes that sometimes bring short-term conflict and short-term pain in order to bring about long-term healing. Father, give us hearts that are surrendered to your will, to your ways, to your name. Give us your Holy Spirit in increasing measure. Give us your Holy Spirit so that your will will become delicious to us. 
and it won't feel like pulling teeth. So that your name, the totality of your name, will strike us as beautiful and not repulsive. So that your vision for health and freedom will seem to us truly like health and freedom. Father, most of all, teach us to surrender to the one who loved us and gave himself for us as we limp forward in these things. The one who submitted to your wisdom when he prayed, not my will, Father, but yours be done. The one who submitted to the fullness of your name when he absorbed your severity on the cross so that all that would be left for those of us who are in him is your kindness. Who surrendered to your vision for health as his body wasted away so that you could go and prepare a place for us where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Father, there is so much here. We've only scratched the surface, but teach us to know you and to love you more as we wrestle through these things and even as we head to your table now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.